By listening to this podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in yourself or others, including, but not limited to, patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall any guests or contributors to the podcast or any employees, associates, or affiliates of the Neuroendocrine Cancer Awareness Network be responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to Nets Get Real by NCAN. I'm your host, Mike Wayman. Again, uh, today, we have uh, Dr. Satya Nanu Das uh, joining us from uh, Nashville. And uh, we are going to talk. He's he's got a little bit of uh, stuff planned to talk about. Before we jump into that, though, um, we got to remind everybody, the 2022 National Conference is November 12th, uh, 10th through 12th. Uh, it's where the Zebras take Atlanta. And it takes place in the Marriott Marquis, Atlanta, Georgia, where we have over 20 net professionals on hand. They're going to share presentations, answer your questions. Registration is open. So more for more information, please go to netcancerawareness.org and hit our social medias at netcanceraware. Uh, so now we're going to bring our guest on, Dr. Das. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm well. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. We are, uh, we are, we're recording on Labor Day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is, uh, this is how, how dedicated this man is to, uh, (laughs) to the disease here. And, uh, we really appreciate you joining us, uh, this morning. So, uh, before we get into your presentation, um, Please tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, about your practice, where you practice, all that. Yeah, I could say the same about you, the man behind the mic, Mike. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for having me today. Um, yeah, so I uh, so I'm a GI medical oncologist at at Vanderbilt. I, I'm, I'm at Vanderbilt Ingram Cancer Center in in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, been here now almost actually six and a half years. Uh, you know, time time really flies. Um, I have uh, been really fortunate to be involved actually in, in taking care of net patients since the beginning of my, my career. And so um, I actually see about 80% of my patients are neuroendocrine tumor patients. Um, I spend two days in the clinic and the rest of my time I actually devote to clinical trials. So I, I run our PRT program here um, and actually have um, a lot of my career has been dedicated toward kind of looking at when to sequence PRT, how we can build upon the activity of PRT. Um, and then the other facet that I'm really passionate about is clinical trials. So, you know, we know that that's kind of our avenue for moving the field forward. So um, I've been fortunate to be involved in, in, in several net studies and, and we're working on several more. Awesome. Awesome. So real quick, what, what led you to become a net specialist? Yeah, I think so many of our stories in medicine, Mike, are actually serendipity. So um, I actually came to Vanderbilt to be a lung oncologist. Um, my, mentor, my mentorship and residency was a lung doc, uh, came here, and then I actually met Dr. Jordan Berlin early in my first year of fellowship. And uh, he did GI and drug development. And uh, I you know, quickly fell in love with that aspect of, of medicine and joined his clinic. And his clinic was actually uh, 50% net. 
And, uh, and so when he actually um, took a, a research break, he actually passed most of his clinic to me. And thus, I started with seeing the majority of my patients being net patients. And, uh, and uh, actually, around the time I had joined, too, PRT was just approved. So we were just starting to do it at Vanderbilt. So those two kind of strokes of luck, uh, you know, put me in the net arena. Yeah, it, it seems like the more and more I talk to uh, anybody who comes on this show, it's always... Nets chose me. I didn't choose mm -hmm. Nets. <laughs> that's exactly, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why is it so important for a patient to be involved with their treatment plan? I mean, you, you guys, uh, especially you, you, you're, you're working on the sequencing and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important for them to be a part of that process? Yeah. So I think, you know, this, this goes into this entire philosophy of um, patient centric care. And I know, I know we talk about that term a lot, but I think it, it really has more resonance even in the neuroendocrine tumor space. And the reason I say that is because fortunately our patients, um, you know, we have many, many years with our patients. And so it is optimal to not just factor in our own thoughts about when to give a particular therapy, but to factor in things like toxicity, side effects, uh, uh, you know, quality of life. Um, we're also one of the, the diseases in which we actually involve multimodality care. That's part of our standard. You know, I think um, a few times ago I heard, uh, you know, Dr. Mike Sulin was on. You know, we, we work with our, our interventional radiologists all the time. You know, we have our surgical oncologists who play a key role uh, for our patients through their, through their span. Uh, and, and then, of course, our, our medical oncologists. So I think, you know, patient-centric care is particularly relevant to neuroendocrine tumor patients because we have uh, to think about when we give a therapy and how that therapy may affect the patient in the long term, because we're not just dealing with now, we're dealing with the future. So that, that's sort of the way I think a little bit about the importance of patient-centric care. Yeah, absolutely. And then in regards to uh, proper care, uh, what, what do you think is the number one decision that a patient can make? Yeah, so what I tell all my patients, and, and I think you know, you've, hear, you've heard this message be echoed, is that if you can, early on the course after diagnosis, to just go see a, a net expert or at a place that does it a lot. And the reason is not that your treatment may vary, not that anything may vary, but just the perspective you get is truly unique. And I think getting a perspective of what the landscape is and what the future holds early on just is such a key thing because, you know, so many times I see patients seven, eight years in who do great. But I think if, if we had an earlier visit, um, you know, things could have maybe been been better for quality of life. And so I think the, the one piece of advice would be, um, you know, if you can see a net expert, uh, go see them. But I also recognize that it's not always easy to access us. And so I think take advantage of platforms like NCAN, like the NetRF, like Carcinoid Cancer Foundation, which actually do an amazing job of connecting people from all over the country to maybe people like us. So I would say take advantage of the, um, the patient forums and the patient groups, because that's the biggest asset, folks who are walking in your shoes. And then if you can come see a center that, that does it a lot to get some perspective. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's kind of the, uh, that's absolutely a common thread throughout every single episode. And that's something that I, I you know, People may, you know, be sick of hearing it, but mm -hmm. going to a center of excellence, going to you may not go every week or every mm -hmm. month or whatever it is, but these centers will work with your local doctors mm -hmm. as well. Yep. So it's super important to see a net expert because they're they're the ones dealing with, with it every day. And Mike, if I may also add in, I think net 
uh, neuroendocrine tumors as a disease more than any other cancer that I take care of are truly individualized. You know, when I have fellows with me in the clinic, I think what always blows them away is that, you know, for example, on a given day, we'll have three patients with pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, each with completely individualized processes and approaches. And yeah. so it's really that there is no textbook for these patients. And so the past that we forge and create together is unique to, to your care. And so that that's why it's really relevant and important. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so what, what are you gonna be discussing with us today? Yeah, so I was hoping to give an overview on uh, peptide receptor radionuclide therapy, PRT, kind of what we have going on and also what might be coming down the pipe. Awesome. Awesome. So without further ado, uh, the floor is yours, sir. Great. Um, so, you know, I think I think PRRT um, has been a game changing therapy for for neuroendocrine tumors. Um, it was a therapy that's been around for a period of time, but was recently approved. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the mechanism PRT, the types of PRT that are available, um, some of the data behind the current approvals, and what we have coming down the pike, and and what you know what perhaps excites me you know about this arena and this field. So PRRT very simply is a lock and key based treatment. Here, the lock is somatostatin receptor, most commonly somatostatin receptor two. And so the way we confirm the presence of that target is now through dotatate scans. We used to use octreotide scans, but now the field has largely shifted to using dotatate-based PET or in some places dotatate-based MRI. We have copper or gallium scans, and we think of these uh, processes being equivalent. Um, but, but anyways, a dotatate scan, the importance of it being done early, particularly when folks have um, metastatic disease or after surgery, um, is to confirm the presence of this target, somatostatin, on the neuroendocrine tumor cells. Now, fortunately, 90 to 95% of low-grade neuroendocrine tumors uh, overexpress somatostatin. So um, we know that that target is present, and that target is what's hit by the PRRT. So the PRRT is kind of the key, the key-based mechanism here. And, and so very simply, it is an octreotide analog linked to a radionuclide or a particle that can be used for, for therapy. And um, the radionuclides that we've used in the past include indium-111, Y90, and most recently, lutetium-177, uh, which is where the approval has been. And so the goal of PRRT is to both shrink tumors, which it, which in current forms it does modestly, but actually the biggest goal of PRRT is to freeze tumors. And we can see prolonged periods of freezing for years. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So the two big categories of PRRT that are currently available are alpha PRRT and beta PRRT. So thus far, beta PRRT is the type that's been explored. Uh, the, the two most common types of beta PRT are Y90 or yttrium 90 based PRT, which was actually initially done a little bit more in Europe. We've moved away from it because of uh, some of the side effects, particularly some of the kidney specific side effects. And now we've actually primarily moved to using lutetium, uh, lutetium 177 or lutathera is the trade name. So lutathera is the approved type of PRT, and we'll talk a little bit about that data. There are new types of PRRT called alpha PRRT that are being developed. And so the way that PRRT works or creates its effect on the tumor is it actually creates damage. So it, it hits, it binds to the somatostatin receptor on the neuroendocrine tumor, it's internalized and then damages the DNA of a neuroendocrine tumor cell. And so 
it really creates its damage through what we call single strand breaks. So DNA is two sort of a, a two pair chain. And so if you create a single strand break, that other strand becomes kind of um, unstable and more prone to breaking even further. But we know that beta, beta PRT is, is modest in terms of its energy is not super high. So it doesn't create the most breaks. Um, alpha PRT is a very interesting new type of PRT. There's a few different drugs that are being tested. Um, some of these include actinium-225. Um, there are lead compounds. There's bismuth-213. But these are types of PRTs um, that may create more damage towards neuroendocrine tumor cells. And alpha therapy is now being tested um, in early phase two studies. And actually, there's some phase three studies that will be opening. Um, I think the big question right now is that we don't know whether we should use alpha therapy after lutetium or lutathera or before. And, and these are some things that we can talk a little bit about at the end. So what about the data for lutathera or lutetium-177 dotatate? You know, what was the data that got it approved? You know, believe it or not, PRT actually first was used in Europe in 1993, um, and it's actually been utilized since then. But there was never a randomized study until the Netter-1 trial. So the Netter-1 study was uh, a trial that was actually led by uh, Dr. Strasberg out at Moffitt and involved, you know, multiple sites um, around the country and, and globe. And, um, and what it was was it took patients with mid-gut predominantly small bowel neuroendocrine tumor patients who'd progressed on prior therapy and random, randomized them in, um, in a one-to-one -one fashion to high-dose octreotide, 60 milligrams, or standard-dose octreotide, 30 milligrams, plus lutetium. Uh, and lutetium is given in four doses, each separated roughly by two months. The primary endpoint of the study was time-to-tumor growth or progression-free survival, and lutetium dotatate slowed time to tumor growth by almost 80% in patients. Um, interestingly, the tumor shrinkage rate was um, also about 20%, which is much more significant than the therapies that we actually have available um, then and also now. Um, most recently, this overall survival data was updated and it did not meet significance, but there was a, a clinically significant 12-month survival benefit for patients who got lutetium. Um, and the reason for that is that many patients who got octreotide or the high-dose octreotide arm eventually got PRT with lutathera, and that can sometimes um, kind of what we call muddle the, the survival results. So in, in the, the Netter-1 study, that was specifically looking at mid-gut neuroendocrine tumors, but we know that lutetium dotatate is also approved for pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. So there was a big Dutch experience in almost 440 patients at a big uh, European Center for Excellence in Rotterdam, which looked at 443 patients with a variety of neuroendocrine tumors, including midgut nets, pancreas nets, lung nets, and unknown primary nets. And patients received four cycles of lutetium dotatate. And again, we see overall survivals in this group of you know 60 to 70 months, which in patients who were very, very um, pretreated with a number of treatments, this was quite striking. So based upon this data, lutetium dotatate was approved for uh, both pancreatic and uh, gastrointestinal neuroendocrine tumors that overexpress somatostatin. Now, it was very interesting that even though in that Rotterdam experience, patients with lung nets were included, they comprised a very small number. So the FDA and EMA, or the European Regulatory Agency, did not 
uh, yet approve PRT for lung nets. And we'll talk a little bit about how that has some implications um, for patients down the road. So, you know, now we know that lutetium dotatate is FDA approved um, for, the, for the treatment of somatostatin receptor positive gastroenteropancreatic neuroendocrine tumor patients. But there is a lot of work looking at what we call sequencing. So when should we give the therapy? Should we give it first? Should we give it later? Should we, you know, wait till after everolimus? Should we wait till after sunitinib and pancreatic nets? And so there are a number of studies that are ongoing. Um, I just wanted to highlight a few. Um, these will be discussed in, in, in further detail um, in Atlanta, as well as, um, you know, I think on a number of, of different online forums. Uh, but the two studies that are looking at first-line lutetium include the Netter 2 study, which is looking at more aggressive gastroenteropancreatic nets, grade two and grade three, and randomizing patients to uh, lutetium plus standard dose octreotide or high dose octreotide. And there's a study called the COMPOSE study, which is looking at another form of lutetium PRT called lutetium etoreotide um, and randomizing patients to either chemotherapy or everolimus, again, in more aggressive G2 and G3 gastroenteropancreatic nets. There are later line sequencing studies, a study called the COMPETE trial, which is looking at lutetium, uh, excuse me, lutetium etoreotide versus everolimus in gastroenteropancreatic neuroendocrine tumors in the later line setting. And there's a trial that's looking at lutetium dotatate versus sunitinib in pancreatic nets in the later line setting. So we know with these trials, these trials are going to be really important to tell us about when to sequence PRRT, but these trials are years away from reporting. So we actually published some data um, using Vanderbilt patients as well as external patients developing what we called a clinical score. And um, we looked at basically every patient that was about to get PRT at Vanderbilt and then at other places and kind of looked at assigning patients a score based on a variety of different uh, clinical criteria. And what we found was that giving PRT earlier, uh, this is after patients had progressed on at least a somatostatin analog, but giving PRT earlier when patients had less treatment and um, were, had less symptoms and less tumor bulk uh, led to better outcomes. So this is some provocative work that suggests that earlier sequencing is better, but I think some of these ongoing studies are going to tell us just how early um, lutetium dotatate and lutetium PRRT should be, should be utilized. I think um, another very, very exciting group of trials that are being developed are additions to lutetium dotatate. So I talked a little bit earlier that lutetium dotatate creates its damage by breaking DNA, single strand breaks. But we know that uh, cancer cells, and particularly neuroendocrine cells, can repair their own DNA and particularly single-strand breaks. But they are not as adept at repairing double-strand breaks. And so there's a lot of interest in can we add compounds to lutetium dotatate to make single-strand breaks double-strand breaks to make it more effective. And so there are a number of small phase one or phase two studies that are ongoing or about to be started looking at combining DNA repair inhibiting agents or basically drugs that prevent the repair of DNA breaks in combination with lutetium dotatate. Some of these include um, a study that Dr. Chauhan's leading with tr a drug called triapine, which depletes uh, basically um, base pairs or DNA fragments 
Um, there's a, uh, a trial uh, that Heidi Del Riviera will be, and Frank Lynn at the NCI will be leading, um, looking at Olaparib, which is a PARP inhibitor. Um, and then there's a drug with the, what we call other DNA-breaking enzymes that are also being studied. Uh, colleagues in Australia have looked at combinations with capecitabine and temozolomide, and there's been some signals, particularly in pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. Um, but I think the story of adding DNA damage uh, blockers or repair blockers to lutetium dotate is one that is um, really going to um, be, be emerging. So um, also with regards to PRRT, I wanted to spend a little bit of time on just the logistics of PRRT. Uh, with lutetium in terms of how is it given, what is the schedule, um, what are some of the side effects seen by patients. So um, with regards to the schedule, uh, lutetium dotate is given every two months typically. Uh, we can give longer breaks as needed, but it is given every two weeks. Um, what we usually do is we ask for the last dose of a somatostatin analog if patients are on one to be 28 days prior. Now, it is not a must, but it is something that, that has been done. Um, how we do it at Vanderbilt is folks usually come in the day before. They see myself or my nurse practitioner. They get a pick line because we don't like to give the dose through just an IV alone. They stay the night in a hotel and come back the following day to get their lutetium dotate treatment. The treatment itself is only 45 minutes, uh, but we give amino acids to protect the kidneys and bone marrow that lasts about four hours. Uh, and then patients, when they're deemed safe by a Geiger counter, go home. And so it's about a day and a half in the way sort of that we administer it. And this process repeats every two months. Now, we do get blood work monthly. And for patients who um, are on a somatostatin analog, they get monthly somatostatin analogs. It's just stacked with the Lutathera so that they don't get their somatostatin analog until right after the PRT and then on the in-between cycles. So what I usually do is I don't scan patients in the middle of lutetium dotate, barring exception, because sometimes things can flare before they shrink. Um, and then I usually get a CAT scan or MRI a month after completing the lutathera and then wait to get a dotate scan a few months later to truly allow the therapy to, to work. I think the beauty of lutetium dotate based PRT is how well tolerated it is. You know, um, it has very little nausea, vomiting. There is minimal to no hair loss. Um, you know, I would say minimal diarrhea. Sometimes patients can get flares of symptoms, but that's usually well controlled. I think the most common side effects that we see are fatigue, which is usually quite mild. And sometimes um, folks can see pain at the site of their tumors as the treatment is going in and kind of infiltrating. Um, the long-term risk that I worry about and that we always think about are bone marrow changes. Um, but fortunately, the risk of leukemia is, you know, 0.01%. The risk of bone marrow changes are about 1% to 2%. But we check when we are able to tell by looking at blood work quite early about whether we need to back off on the dose, whether we need to increase the interval between um, doses. And we've been able to, to negotiate that, the, those bone marrow aspects quite, quite well. Um, so those are kind of the main side effects and schedule of, of lutetium dotate. Um, and I think the really exciting thing about this PRRT is it doesn't only apply to neuroendocrine tumors. It applies potentially to any tumor that has a target. So just earlier this year, there was an approval in prostate cancer for PRRT for patients with prostate cancer called Pluvicto, for, or in which targets a prostate protein called PSMA. So I think we're only scratching the surface. I think uh, PRRT is here to stay. And I think it's very exciting that 
uh, neuroendocrine tumors were the first uh, forum in, in which this therapy was established and showed effect. But I think we're going to see it affect many, many more common tumors um, as well. Um, and I think it's exciting that, that neuroendocrine tumors um, are the forefront and kind of, um, you know, sort of the, the, the lab in which this PRT really established uh, itself and, and made it a meaningful treatment for our patients. Um, so those are kind of the salient points that I had, um, Mike. I'm happy to turn it back to you or, or if, if we wanted to chat about anything else. Yeah, no, th uh, that was great. Uh, really appreciate you uh, giving us this this super important information. Um, what I, I I'm still uh, very intrigued by all like all, all the progress and all the you know because I've been I've been go attending all these meetings and the uh, and, and stuff like that for for many many years. It's mm -hmm. it's I think it's like 17 now. So. Wow. Uh, so like to see all the progress that's being made and, and, you know, it, it's funny because PRRT for a long time was just, man, it, it just seems like it was, it was so far away from mm -hmm. coming to the U S and, um, mm -hmm. here we are making huge, huge strides with it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I really do think that, um, you know, the, the development is, uh, is really becoming more prevalent now the, the development of new uh, processes and the development of new treatments and stuff like that. Um, I think it's really exciting. It's a really, really exciting time here uh, in the net community for, for, for sure. Yeah, no, Mike, I couldn't echo it more. I mean, I still remember, and, you know, there are folks that mentioned, you know, going to Europe initially to get PRT, yeah. right? And, and obviously that wasn't, you know, a means for everybody. And it was kind of this, you know, sort of white whale treatment that was out there, but, you know, hadn't yet hit the shore. So I think it speaks to the importance of, you know, doing randomized studies because that's the way we get approval, right? And so, yeah. you know, we, we had actually, um, you know, done some work looking at, like neuroendocrine studies, just the, the history of neuroendocrine trials. And I think, you know, what was really surprising and amazing for us was that I think a lot of people would say, well, you know, neuroendocrine tumors are rare tumors. I'm sure a lot of trials didn't complete because, you know, there must have not been enrollment. But actually, in contrast to the rates of completion of, of studies in other cancers, neuroendocrine tumors had much, uh, patients with neuroendocrine tumors had much lower rates of trials closing due to lack of enrollment. So I think the net community is super strong in terms of the way we enroll on studies, move the field forward. But I think it speaks to the fact that like PRT was available for almost two decades, right, before it got approved. But because we didn't have a randomized study, we weren't able to get it to more patients. So I think now if we're seeing signals, we have to do randomized studies or, or bigger studies so that we can get these drugs to patients, you know. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, we, we've said it a few times here on the show and stuff like that, but uh, it's it's important. It's important for you to take place, uh, take uh, part in, uh, you know, clinical trials and, and randomized studies and, and things like that, because that is what's going to help forward, you know, move forward with a lot of these new treatments. And, and it's going to it's going to create more opportunities to create a better quality of life. I think it's yeah. something that, you, yeah, you should be worried about, uh, you know, to a mm -hmm. degree, but I, I think that you have doctors like uh, Dr. Das here who are overseeing all this stuff. You know, my, my mom is taking part with the, mm -hmm. in the clinical trial with uh, Dr. Chuan. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, 
yeah, you're getting you're getting good medical guidance from your doctors, and if something goes wrong, the, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a, the ability to pivot. But exactly. um, you know, taking part in these things are, are very very important to the uh, to the process. And Mike, if I may say too, I think you know now by virtue of being part of um, the process of designing these studies, you know, I can I can certainly make a plug that our philosophy has changed. You know, I think previously and rightfully so you know there were concerns that you know am i going to get randomized to a placebo or a sugar pill but i i can tell you from you know being in some of these rooms where we're designing these trials there is so much more equipoise now meaning that let's say you're even randomized to placebo many of our studies now allow you to get the experimental treatment you know upon right. so i think there's so much more um patient input and fairness in the way trials are designed so i think that's also a reason because it's not just something that you know, may benefit someone down the road. I think it actually trials or mechanisms that can benefit you as well. So sometimes there's a little bit of that misnomer that, you know, a trial is not, you know, if I get randomized to this arm, that's not getting the study drug, I'm not going to be able to get it. But I think our design of our studies is, is really changed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, no, we, I really appreciate you joining us and, uh, sharing this information with us. If, uh, if you want to learn more about these topics and, uh, you know, meet Dr. Das, uh, please join us at the national conference in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, November 10th through 12th. Um, also I'm sure, uh, you know, there's over at the NCAN YouTube channel, uh, there's over 300 videos. So, um, there's a good chance. There's a few that, uh, Dr. Das has done. So uh, definitely go over there, check it out. Uh, I'm really looking forward to what else you, from, from now until Atlanta, the new uh, progress that uh, takes place uh, in your, your research. I, I really, uh, really exciting times for sure. Um, if you guys like things like this, uh, this kind of programming, please make sure to follow us, like, subscribe. If you can give us a five-star review on your podcast platform, be greatly appreciated it helps beat the algorithms and that's going to help create more awareness uh please make sure again to follow us on our social medias at netcancerAware. go to the website netcancerawareness.org for more information on all of our events uh and also important more importantly to find your local uh group chapters because again these are people that are going through the same thing as you and th there's the best way to navigate this disease is by joining the community and you know seeing how seeing the strength of of this community and uh you know find a local chapter and and go to these meetings you'll you'll be better off for it for sure um once again thank you dr das for joining us thank thank you everybody for joining us with uh on nets get real and we will see you next time thank you so much mike appreciate it